morning, friends. As you know, last week we began our series in the book of Ephesians, and we are still in chapter 1. You may recall that last week we, uh, we, uh, we, we learned about our salvation from verses 3 to 14, which we find uh, particularly in the Paul's writings, he's one long run-on sentence. And that was verses 3 to 14, talking about how the Father chose us before the foundation of the world, how the Son redeemed us, that's at the cross, and how the Spirit of God sealed us, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Well, again, uh, you know, we mentioned that that was pretty typical of Paul to have run-on sentences. So we're going to look at the third sentence uh, this morning. Um, in this this letter, which is uh, verses 15 to 23. (laughs) Again, Paul is uh, quite famous for this. On January 6, 1822, the wife of a poor German pastor had a son, and because they were German, they named him Johann Ludwig Heinrich Julius Schleelmann. I mean, if you're Irish, you wouldn't name a kid that. Now, his friends, they just called him Heinrich, I guess. (laughs) But this is a fascinating story, and I'm absolutely amazed that somebody hasn't made a movie out of this this, this account. You see, this this guy, when he was seven years old, uh, he saw a picture of ancient Troy in flames, you know, a painting. And, um, And it captured his imagination, just thinking about this. And contrary to what many people believed, Heinrich, uh, later in life, argued that Homer's great poems, the Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, were based on historic facts, and he set out to prove that that was true. I mean, imagine this. Here he is reading these books, and within these pages he said, this is truth, and then he acted on it. Sound familiar, friends? It's what we ought to do every time we pick up the Word of God. What is said in here is truth, and we ought to live our lives in light of it. Well, in 1873, he uncovered the ancient site of Troy along with some fabulous treasure, which he smuggled out of the country to the chagrin of the Turks. (laughs) Um, But he became famous and a wealthy man, all because he dared to believe an ancient record and then act on it. It is astounding that when you know the truth and act on the truth, my friends, you too will find great treasure. And we're going to see that truth here in verse 15 to 23 in Ephesians chapter 1. Now again, is the practice of Paul in his letter writing. He will often, if you want to learn about prayer and maybe some questions like, What should I be praying for the church? An excellent primer for that would certainly be to to take a look at Paul's letters. And uh, the first chapter, I think, about every letter he writes, he includes some prayer that he has for the church. But in this particular instance, he tells them what he prays and why he's been praying it. Take a look with me, verse 15. He says, for this reason... And then tells us what the reason is, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so the occasion for his, his prayer, he says, you know, I'm getting reports about your, your church, this, this church in Ephesus, and I hear that you have such a great faith in the Lord Jesus. I mean, this solid, rock-solid faith, I mean, you're living it out. You're a great example to other people. And so he talks about their vertical relationship, how they are relating to God. And then Paul says, and then there's that other aspect, you know? It's like the Great Commission, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he says, and you are known by the love that you have for all of the saints. And it's, it's really a beautiful picture here. It's also a great warning for us. First, we have this, this, this wonderful example of a church that seems to be knocking it out of the park. I mean, the Apostle Paul hears about you and he's saying, man, you guys are doing a great job and I am thankful for you all the time. I mean, he's laboring and working and trying to get churches to that same level. He's like, you guys are really knocking it. But you know what? In less than 30 years, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation will write about that church in Ephesus. Go ahead and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation. You're wondering where that is? Turn to maps and then go backwards a little bit. <laughs> Anybody here have a real Bible with maps in it anymore? You know? Yeah, good. Hey, hang on to it. Use what you work, what's working, you know? Yeah, when we come to Revelation 2, we see this, this letter written to the church at Ephesus. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, now that word angel is, is the word messenger here, okay? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, <coughs> and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. They had lost their first love. The love that they had for God it's at first, this love they had for God through Christ, had dissipated, dissipated in all of the busyness, in the works, and the this and the that. Somehow they just stopped taking time to nurture what mattered most, a relationship with God. Let it be a warning to you, my friends. Let it be a warning. Well, we see the occasion for the prayer. Paul is grateful for this church. But then we move on here, my friends, to the content of this prayer. And as we are about to introduce this, this all-important content of this prayer, I want you to know about this guy. His name was William Randolph Hearst. You may have heard of him. <laughs> he invested a fortune collecting art treasures from around the world. And one day, 
Mr. Hurst found a description of some valuable items that he felt he absolutely must own. Wealthy dude, I want it, I'm going to have it, go get it for me. So, so he had people that would do this hunting down and research, and they did. And they went after it, and they researched and followed the movements of this treasure. And finally, they realized exactly where it was. And they went in and talked to Mr. Hurst and said, we know exactly where it is. You already own it. <laughs> yeah, imagine having such great treasure and not even knowing it. You and I as believers have such great riches in Christ Jesus. And to be honest, we know very little about it. And we know very little about it because we don't spend the time reading and studying the Word of God like we ought to. And that is what Paul is about to pray for this church. Take a look here with me. In verse 17, now we're going to see a list here of four things that Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, and in a sense praying for us as well, for the church. And he is going to not be asking for things, oh God, bring this, have somebody find a good deal on a thing. He's not even praying that they, have, that they get something that they don't have. He's praying that they will have their eyes open in such a way that they will realize what they have. <coughs> Parents will often think this about their kids. Oh, they have no idea how good they have it today. And we'll talk about our childhood and how we didn't have, and we didn't have, oh, they have so much. And they don't even realize it. Friends, I fear that that is the church today. That when we simply, we only pull out our Bible, it's in the back seat of our car, so we know exactly where it is next Sunday. Friends, we are cheating ourselves big time. When I <coughs> first came to faith in Jesus Christ, you know, I, I grew up in the church, so, you know, I kind of knew some stuff, like you're supposed to pray and read your Bible, right? So that was my instant instinct. I'm trusting Christ, so I need to read the Bible and I need to pray every single day. Set my alarm an hour earlier, you know, tough to get up. But man, my life is different. It's, and I'm reading this stuff and it's just hard to understand what is going on here. You know, you Genesis, you wait for those stories, right? You know, ah, there's Joseph. We know this guy. <laughs> we see where this is headed. You know, and but so much stuff in there, and I'm like, I need some help. Somebody's got to help me. I ended up going to the Moody Bible Institute because, like, the school's like three three years. You know, and three years when you're 19 is nothing. You know, so like, I'll go to school for three years. I'll learn everything there is to know about the Bible. You know, because it's just a book, right? <laughs> I can't tell you <coughs> how absurd that statement is. But I did, and I took these fascinating classes. I mean, this, this, this class in theology. Now, that sounds like some really useless stuff that people waste their time. Do you know what theology is? It's the study of God, and the basis is the Word of God. What does the Bible teach about God? And I'll tell you what, I grew up in church. I had no idea 
the things that could be known about God. And I'll tell you what, friends, it, it is, it's why I do what I do and I'm so careful and passionate about these things. Is Friends, there is so much more. It's like you're eating peanut butter all the time and you've never heard of this word called steak. Like steak, yeah, that's just another food, right? Oh, no, baby. <laughs> this stuff is good. You ever had a grilled hamburger? I'll tell you what, we're just going to take a note because this is important. Ladies, write this down. All right, you get your hamburger, okay? Then uh, there was Laurie's Season Salt, okay? L-A-W, whatever. I don't make any money off of this, but you're going to love me for it. Sprinkle that stuff in, and then uh, what's the Worcestershire? And then mix it all up and put it on the grill, and oh, it's so good. So good. If you didn't write that down, you're going to want to buy this sermon. But you can't because it's not for sale. (laughs) So take a look here. Look at what Paul is praying. He's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Now here we have an issue. I don't know about your translation. My translation capitalizes the S on spirit. That's an interpretation. The uh, translators are saying, well, this must be referring to the spirit of God. I would suggest to you that that's not the case, but that what Paul wants for us to have is a spirit of wisdom, like a spirit of holiness. In other words, it's an attitude, it is an insight, it is a perspective That what God is praying, well, look, we already have the Spirit of God, okay? He's not praying that somehow the Spirit of God will give you a little more or something. You know, you have everything that God has given to you. So he's talking about the spirit of wisdom and of revelation that we understand the truth. The word revelation means to uncover. It means to understand that which has been before us our whole lives. And here's the kicker right here, my friends. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him that we might know God. Not about him, not a few things here and there. You know, I could bring up names of famous people and you're like, oh yeah, I know that guy. You know, nothing about that guy. You saw him in a movie is all, you know. I mean, well, you know, what's his favorite dinner? What, what kind of soda does he drink? You know, I don't have a clue. People who know him know that sort of thing. The purpose that Paul is praying is that we get beyond the basics and start growing in our understanding of God. We start digging a little deeper, friends. My friends, you've got to bust out the Bible. You say, yeah, but it's hard. Get a friend together. Do it together. Get some resources. Build a library. Build a new room to store all of these new resources. Or get a computer and buy the software on there, my friends. Books don't take up any room if you got them in software, you know. But get in the Word of God. Think of this.
the God of all creation. He simply spoke and brought it all into existence. The God who designed it. Have you ever thought about this? Why is anything beautiful? I mean, why isn't just everything just functional in this world? I mean, that tells you something about God, doesn't it? You can learn an awful lot about the Creator by looking at the creation. Friends, there is more. Pick up a systematic theology book and start working your way through. You say, oh, I see some shaking heads over here. You better stop it. (laughs) And start finding out, what does the Bible say about this God? What does the Bible say about our salvation? What does it mean? Get in the Word of God. And you'll notice as he continues on, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, this this understanding more, getting in deeper, understanding who God is, what he has done, what he has promised. Study it, my friends. Why? Because in knowing this, you will know the hope to which he has called you. The more you know about God, the greater your faith will be in him. If in your mind, God is up there, otherwise occupied by people praying about their team winning in some sports match, you know, and God said, oh, what am I going to do? Those Democrats, all about the Republicans, what am I? If you, if your picture of God He is small, so will your faith be. On on the way here this morning, I was behind a white van. I hope you're here today. And there was a sticker on the back. And it said, relax, God is in control. (coughs) And it's absolutely true. I mean, do you believe that about God? That not only does he know what's going on in your life? It's all a part of his plan for his glory and your good and the good of the people around you. Like friends, it truly is all good. I mean, the last week we, we, we looked at the Apostle Paul's calling in, in Acts chapter 9. And Jesus said to this guy, I must show you how much you must suffer. Like that was part of God's plan, that some horrific event would come. And it's a huge inconvenience, my friends, to be stoned and shipwrecked and beaten and whipped. And (coughs) And Paul never once had to say, God, do you even care what's going on? Because he knows God cares about all of it. Every single thing, that every health crisis, everything is part of God's plan. He is actively working in your life. Every single bit of it for his glory, for your good to accomplish his plan. And you have no idea who's watching you in the midst of it. How you testify just by your very life and faith that there is a God, that he is good, that he is powerful, that he can be trusted. Okay, relax, Dave. Got a lot more work to do here. (laughs) But there's more. That's the point. There's more. 
It's like we've been nibbling at the hors d'oeuvres and we have no idea the meal still awaits. Put down the celery, people. There's lobster, if you like that sort of thing. (laughs) So Paul prays that we might know him and that we might know his riches Here at the 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints. Now I ask you this. The Spirit of God is the guarantee of our inheritance. What is our inheritance? Right now you're guessing... That is why you need to study the Word of God. Now, just wait to come on Sundays and hope pastor talks about that stuff. Get in the Word of God and find out. How many of you know what a concordance is? Not enough people. A concordance is when you, uh, you can do it online. You can go in Bible.org or something and, you know, and type in a word. And it'll show you every place in the Bible that word appears. You can put stuff in quotes, you know, the will of God. And everywhere in the Bible that the will of God shows you, and you can look at the context of these things. It is a wonderful tool for studying the Bible. But you've got you to get in there and use these things so that you can study these things on your mind. What is the inheritance? I'm about to just Google that. What is the inheritance of the believer? See, I could tell you right now, but go find out. Go discover these things. Find out what is the hope of every believer. And so Paul is praying that we might know God, a knowledge of him, that we might have the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and that we might know his power. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? (coughs) Excuse me. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Think about this. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. And I know that perhaps you're not even awed by that. Because that's a simple fact for you. And perhaps it's because you haven't thought about what exactly that means. We've heard and read the accounts in the New Testament, the Gospels, and Jesus came and said, you know, wake up, and there's Lazarus jumping out of the tomb. Like it's some magic trick or something. But we don't realize what that entails. I mean, we know what death is, separation of the body and spirit. You know, what was going on with Lazarus in heaven? And suddenly, he's back in his body and jumping around. Think about that. (laughs) My friends, there is more. Oh, there is so much more. You know why this guy's all excited about this stuff? Because I spent uh, eight years in in formal education studying this stuff. I've gone deep. I mean, deep. 
There is so much more. Don't miss it. Simply because there's a game on TV. Get in there and study, my friends. The power. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you. You have the power of the Spirit of God that raised people from the dead. So what is too hard for you this week? Well, I don't know. I want to talk to him about Jesus, but I don't know. I'm uncomfortable, and I don't know if I'll know what to say. And yet you have the Spirit of God that brings things to remembrance. It works mighty power. No one will ever come to faith in Christ because you talked him into it, my friends. It is because in love you spoke the truth to the best of your ability, communicating that truth. And the Spirit of God regenerates that, uh, that, that dead person, spiritually speaking, brings them to life. They put their faith in Christ. You have the Spirit of God in you and you didn't even know it. What that really means Here in verse 21, we see that we might know his position. And so he worked all of his great power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Why is it significant that Jesus is seated at the right hand? He's seated because the work is done. You don't have to earn your salvation and know by the way you can't. The work is done, and Jesus is seated in a place of authority. And you know what else he is doing? According to Hebrews, he's our intercessor, a great high priest who is praying for you. Think about that for a moment. So we have the Apostle Paul, in my estimate, the great Apostle Paul. And why is he great? Because God has brought great works into his life. He is great because God is great. He had to pray. Jesus, do you ever see how much that guy was praying? He's always getting away to pray. If Jesus needed to pray, friend, you need to pray. You need to pray. You need to get in the Word of God and you need to talk to the God of the Word. And we need to know His position. Notice these words, my friend. Far above all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. And He put all things under His feet And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. That is the God to whom we pray. Great authority and great power. Authority means he chooses what will happen, how it will happen, when it will happen. And nothing can stop him. Nothing can get in the way of his will. The wisest thing for us to do, my friends, is to work in accordance with his will. Practice those spiritual disciplines, my friend. Be open and available to the spirit of God's influence in our life. 
cooperate. Remember Jonah? You know, God made his will clear. Hey, you, you go to Nineveh, and there you're going to preach, and they're going to repent. Jonah didn't like the idea, and he ran away. I mean, this is just a great illustration. Oh, no, what can God do? Is he going to kill him? <laughs> hey, he's going to get in a boat. God can't touch him there, right? All that water and stuff. <laughs> well, as we know, Jesus walked on water, and, <laughs> and that power and authority. Let's go have this great fish swim over here. And in he goes. And you say, isn't that just a kid's story? Don't you dare miss the, uh, uh, the, the, the truth in this. That he controls it all. Where every fish in the water swims, where it's going to swim near your hook or far, far away. God controls it all. He controls it all, my friends. You can trust him. And so there are some things that Paul says. I wish the church understood these things. Because when the church understands the truth, they can live in it. And so notice this, my friends. Ignorance of God's riches will most certainly result in poor living. Ignorance... Ignorance of God's riches results in poor living. That's a sermon in a sentence, by the way. <laughs> and yes, that was very clever, the poor and the rich thing contrasted. Thank you very much. <laughs> My wife wasn't impressed either. <laughs> but note this, my friends. Prayer must be a priority. It must be a priority, time and prayer. And remember that the purpose of prayer is not trying to get something from God, but to get a hold of God. Prayer is not a Google search. Prayer is a relationship with a God who loved us so much that he sacrificed his son that he might have a relationship with you. Talk to God. Oh, yeah, Jesus laid out the Lord's Prayer. He, he certainly did. And, yeah, guess what? There's some, some very implicit re, uh, requests there. Give us this day our day. Give us what, what is enough for the day. That's what daily bread means, enough for today. Let's not worry about next week, huh? Let's worry about living faithful for today. God, give us what we need a good memory, whatever it takes to help us serve you for the day. So prayer, it must be a priority. And note that willful ignorance about God and his word is to your own disadvantage, my friend. To your own disadvantage. She'd gone down in history as the greatest miser ever, yet when she died in 1916, she left an estate worth $100 million. This woman was the very definition of cheap. Her name was uh, Hetty Green. She ate cold oatmeal because she was worried about how much it would cost to heat it up. <coughs> Her son had suffered a leg amputation because she de delayed so long in looking for a free clinic. Again, worth $100 million. Her son lost his leg 
because she couldn't find a free clinic. Ultimately, she died because of it. Apparently, uh, she had an attack of apoplexy while arguing about the value of drinking skimmed milk. I mean, who would even argue about that? I mean, who doesn't like their milk a little blue? No, not you. <laughs> she was cheap. She was rich, but she'd lived like a pauper. Don't let that be you. You have great riches and great, great, great opportunities in this relationship with God. Don't live as, as if you're living off the scraps of heaven. They are great riches, my friends. Great riches to be had.